Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. Welcome to another episode of The Glittering Bell Jar. I'm one of your hosts, Valerie. Hi, everyone. I'm your other host, Bree. Hi, Bree. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. So we're trying something new. We're recording in the evenings, and uh, hopefully it goes well. Uh, if we sound a little punch drunk or tired or it's just not a good enough <laughs> energy, let us know. Give us a review. Let us know. We want to hear that feedback. But we wanted to try something new and see how it would go if we both had caffeine and had meals <laughs> and all the kinds of things that we've been learning over the course of this 10 episodes that we're now at. Cause can't believe it. This is episode 10. Mm-hmm. It's hard to believe we're already at 10. I can't believe it. I know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so how, so you're doing well? I'm good, yeah. You know, I actually did something really funny, very Luna-like. I thought you would love it. Uh, I was on TikTok waiting for us to start earlier, and I somehow TikTok has figured out I like um, like tarot readings, and there's all these people that do free tarot readings. You just have to, like, put what you want in there, and, like, I purchased, like, a dollar's worth of, like, roses, so I just sent a bunch of, like, roses. It's like a penny a rose, and I asked for grad school results, and... She said there was like a fire fire with like a horse and that's like an excited energy. And then she said, that's coming quickly. And then something about moving. So moving to a place I've always wanted to go. So all I'm saying <laughs> is I was excited and I thought it was really funny. So I was like, Luna would definitely do that. Yeah, she would. That is funny. That I didn't know people were doing that on TikTok. People are doing everything on TikTok. It's wild. I know. I love it. <laughs> all right. So should we jump into our chapters for this week? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Okay. So as a reminder, if you are brand new to the podcast, the way we are doing this is that we are reading the Harry Potter series backwards. So every time Brie and I sit down to read, we start with the last sentence of each chapter. Then we read that chapter. Then we turn back one chapter and we have been working our way through Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. We are moving so fast. It's hard to believe. I know. We're almost, I mean, we're two thirds of the way through the book. I know this because we're at episode 10 and we kind of mapped it out to be 15 episodes, but I am astonished how quickly we're covering ground. And then when we come here to talk about it, what we do is Brie will give us a synopsis of each chapter. I will read the last sentence of the chapter and then we will discuss it. So today we're covering two chapters. That's chapter 15 and chapter 14. And it is a ton of time in the universe. Um, I think it's several months of time again that we're going to be covering just like last episode. So if you're ready, Brie, let's have you jump right into chapter 15. The Goblin's Revenge. Harry, Ron, Hermione are on the run searching for horcruxes and a way to destroy them, camping whenever they can and finding food however they can. They have only found one horcrux and don't feel any closer to finding more, making the group beginning to to feel frustrated and tensions tensions begin to rise. One evening, they overhear Ted, Dean, Griphook at the river, who is also on the run. All of them are on the run, and they give us a view of, of what is going on in the outside world. And the realization that the Sword of Gryffindor can destroy Horcruxes, which is great. Uh, and also that Ginny was public- punished for trying to steal the Sword of Gryffindor. And there was also a mention of other Weasleys being injured. This realization causes Ron to snap amongst the weeks of doing what they were doing, fight with Harry, and ultimately leave the two of them. Mm, yep. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, and the last sentence of this chapter is, well, actually, I'm going to read the whole last paragraph because it just doesn't okay. quite make sense for just the last sentence. So, <laughs> Harry felt dazed. He stooped, picked up the horcrux, and placed it around his own neck. He dragged blankets off Ron's bunk and threw them over Hermione. Then he climbed into his own bed and stared at the dark canvas roof, listening to the pounding of the rain. Mm. Yeah, I actually, I mean, I know that we were getting to this chapter because of last episode, moving backwards, we knew that Ron was gone in episode nine, Mm. but I was really astonished again at how much is in this chapter. I mean, we go from, you know, in these two chapters, we go from the Ministry of Magic all the way until Ron leaving, which feels like a really long time, but it's only two chapters. And the majority of the information happens in just this one chapter, which when we were uh, researching, you texted me and you said, like, this is a really long chapter. And it is. <laughs> it's one of the longest chapters, I think, in the whole book, um, because there's just a lot that's going on in here. So, okay. gosh, where do we even begin? Do you have anything that you want to start with? Yeah, um, just because it's at, it's like the very first chapter. So Harry has captured Mad-Eye Moody's eye from Umbridge's door. I mean, besides that, that's, you know, just not a good tribute to Mad-Eye. So he steals it. That's actually what ends up getting them caught. Um, and he takes a moment to go bury it. He like finds a tree and decides to bury it there. What I found interesting was that he did it alone. So it almost was like a burial for Mad-Eye Moody, but it was just this private thing he did. And the only conclusion I can come to why he did that alone was that because he felt so ashamed that that was why they ended up getting caught. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think that probably is the reason that he does it on his own because the object, though it is something he wants to preserve in Mad-Eye's honor, also does make him feel really ashamed since it's hard to know what you would do in that situation where it's a desecration of someone that you deeply admire, you know, and then it gets you in trouble, basically. It gets you caught and on this terrible path that they're on where, you know, this chapter especially has so much infighting between the three main characters that I can see why he would go off privately and and just Mm -hmm. do a burial, as you said, on his own so that he could get it out, literally out of his mind and out of his physical space, but know that he had still honored Bandai. Yeah. But like, also we could have used that, right? Like they are trying to fight like the darkest wizard ever, you know, (laughs) like probably could have used that, but yeah. Yeah. And and it's like, I don't know. I don't know what that magical object could have done to help them. But it's also something that maybe I don't know, maybe Matt, I didn't have any family, but people would have wanted to know where they could go pay their respects. And it's just some tree in the woods here. Yeah. The very first thing that I caught actually was um, the whole interaction where Hermione is losing her patience with Ron too. So Mm -hmm. what happens to remind everyone in in chronological order is that Ron gets splinched when they flee the Ministry of Magic in Grimmauld Place. And so he's injured and he's injured on top of them starting to be nomadic and living in this tent that has no heat, that has no food that we've kind of talked about in past episodes. And so after chapter 14 and chapter 15, by then they're already losing patience with one another. So it's not really a surprise that that comes to a head. Right. Though Harry is doing everything he can to try and prevent that. He's racking his brain. They're talking about what to be doing, you know, what to do all the time to try and figure out what to do next. But Hermione's actually the first one in this chapter to lose her patience when she tells Ron to shut up, which is very un-Hermione-ish mm-hmm. and goes to show how much tension there was between the three of them. Yeah, absolutely. It was interesting that Hermione was mad at him. And you can see why, though. And I think this chapter, for me, is one of the reasons for a long time I didn't really like Ron. And I'm excited to get past this and get to, like, the other sides of him because 
he's kind of a brat. Mm -hmm. Like they're trying to get food and he's not helping. Like think of where the Horcrux could be. He's not really being helpful. Whenever Hermione tries to make food, he kind of is like, oh, this is disgusting. Mm -hmm. My mom, you know, would have made better. I actually wrote like a couple things that Ron said that were so mean because I was just like, wow, Ron, you're so mean. And one of them was about like, well, my mother can make good food appear out of thin air. Like, I mean, I can see why they would be mad at him. He's a snot, man. Yeah. And and I, I, I agree, but I also empathize as someone who gets really, really unpleasant when I'm hungry. Yeah, um, I, I would definitely struggle in this situation, but I also would not be as scrupulous as Hermione about like paying people for bread and eggs from their <laughs> chickens and stuff like that. Like we I talked know. about it last episode, how Hermione leaves money whenever they take food and it's like, when you get hungry, you do what you got to do. But I did really like how we've talked in past episodes about the way the three characters and their upbringing have tempered them against mm -hmm. this kind of unpleasantness. And really, Harry's very used to it, unfortunately, because he's been starved by the Dursleys. Hermione has a better strength of character and she's able to hold up against the unpleasantness. But Ron has really had a comfortable life. And this is the first time he's been deeply uncomfortable and he does not handle that well. And it's no surprise that everyone's losing their patience with one another, especially when they're then passing around this stupid horcrux and it's making <laughs> everything that's going on inside of them feel worse. Like, can you imagine being hangry and then like adding hangry onto hangry? It, oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I would not survive. Like I am judging them, you know, like a bad meme, you know, like we are sitting on the couch <laughs> judging the Olympics, <laughs> Olympians, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I also wonder if the horcrux, I know it affects the wearer, but I wonder if it also affected people around them. Like obviously they felt better once it was off of them, but I can't imagine even still just being kind of close to it in proximity still could alter your mood a little bit. So that would just be on top of being hungry, being tired, being frustrated. Yeah, that's an interesting idea because it would suggest that anybody who had been around Umbridge would be affected as well. Mm. And interestingly, thinking of Umbridge, she's not any worse. She's equally bad when she has the Horcruxes when she doesn't, which says a lot about how truly evil she is, that it does not make her even more unpleasant. She's already that unpleasant of a person to be around. Oh, 100%. But I kind of get the sense, I do see what you're saying because there's, you know, Hermione's a lot less patient. Harry's, <laughs> Harry speaks regularly of wanting to like smack Ron or throttle him or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. It's it's interesting because it, it's like if you can put yourself in their position, you can understand why Ron is behaving the way he is. But that doesn't make it any easier for the characters or for the reader to have sympathy for it because mm -hmm. it's like you're on a mission. You've got something to do. Yeah. And it seems like I almost feel like Ron started to feel fed up with his own self. Mm -hmm. Because if I was in that situation and you have Hermione, who obviously is very smart, very witty, and she's still hanging on. So her and Harry are kind of bantering back and forth as far as strategy goes. They're, they're going back and forth. They're talking about things. They're working together. And Ron is not contributing. So I would feel, I would start to feel useless. Mm -hmm. I would start to feel bad and be mad that I'm here, be mad that I can't help. And I think it would be easy to feel left out and like that you weren't needed. So like, why don't? I leave you guys don't need me anyways and there's a close leap from not needed to not wanted either mm. and that's a lot of what the insecurities that he feels when he in, when he fights the horcrux are that he that they don't even want him there yeah and obviously we know from no matter which way you read the book that's not the case but yeah. he doesn't have that ability to step outside and see that 
that he, he is needed and wanted, but he needs to be contributing to make that meaningful to the group. Mm-hmm. In fact, if I remember correctly, when we went to the chapters after Ron returns, there's a point where she says that Ron became the de facto leader of the group and sort of like championed them where to go next, what should we do, where should we search? And it's almost they almost do better when that's the case. Yeah. That they have a like they have a leader and they have Hermione, the strategist, and then they have Harry, who is this hugely important person, but a lot of instinct in like coming up with the final outcome. It's almost better when Harry's not the leader because he's he's he can lead, but he's not that great of a leader. When Ron steps up, he does quite well in it. Mm. Yeah, I, that's a really good point. And I think Ron wasn't willing to step up until he realized Harry doesn't know any more than I do. So like he was probably waiting on him to lead. Mm-hmm. And Harry's like, I'm not leading. We're in this together. And so once Ron did it, obviously, yeah, they were better. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And and not to jump around too much, but in chapter 14, that's the chapter where Harry is less upset with Dumbledore and more upset with himself that he doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing. There's actually a shift that's happening through these chapters from the anger we've seen Harry experiencing toward Dumbledore in the previous episodes right now. Now it's almost internalized. Mm-hmm. It's that he's supposed to know what to do. And over time, he comes to realize he's not supposed to know what to do. Dumbledore was supposed to tell him and didn't. And he has mm-hmm. to, then he has, he displaces his anger onto Dumbledore. But in these chapters, he's more angry with himself and more frustrated with himself than he is with Dumbledore. And I think that probably doesn't help this dynamic that's going on between the three of them. Well, especially when you already have insecurities and then they come to life because your friends really were talking about you. Mm -hmm. They were really were having these doubts and kind of being like, what what is he doing? So that sucks, right? And you're cold and you're hungry and you have no news from the outside world. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking about it and think, I mean, really think about it. They are what, 17 years old. They're just still, they're not regular, but they are still teenagers who have doubts, Mm -hmm. hormones, heightened emotions. You still have, gosh, I can't even like imagine as a teenager, you know, like everything is heightened. So your jealousy is worse. Your, you know, everything is, your fear is worse. Mm -hmm. Everything is worse. Yeah. It's easy as a reader and an adult to project that level of maturity down onto these characters, but they are still just teenagers and 17 was hard. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun, but very hard. Okay, what else? Did you have anything else jump out at you from this chapter? Yeah, you know, I had one thing, which I mean, it was just a bit sad. And I think I tend to I I think it's interesting to look at the traditional bad characters and try to see their side of it. And I think there are two sets of characters that I cannot do that for. And of course, there's Umbridge, which she's just awful, horrible, arguably not worse than Voldemort, but like real close. You have the Dursleys and they are they're the worst. Like at least Voldemort, you like understood why he was doing what he did. Like you have, so there was a line and it's so sad to me. It was their first encounter with the fact that a full stomach meant good spirits, an empty one, bickering and gloom. Harry was least surprised by this because he had suffered periods of near starvation at the Dursleys. They starved him. Like they legit, he was so hungry. Like that's horrid. Like that is horrible. Like now, of course they gave him emotional abuse. And I imagine there was some physical, although I don't remember it being mentioned in the book, but I could see like Vernon using like his belt or something. But yeah, it just was really sad. And I, I kind of imagined what else came up though, you know, like for them, like especially Harry, he has all these, you know, you have time to reflect and worry and man, like what other things came up that maybe we didn't get to read in the book. Yeah. The Dursleys are interesting to me too, since we read The Princess Tale and we learned not just Snape's backstory and Lily's backstory, but Petunia's backstory and her bitterness toward the wizarding world. And I think that in some ways, probably what happened was this child is delivered to her. 
she understands she cannot give him up, that he will die if she does. Mm-hmm. So she she has to keep him because yeah. Dumbledore writes a letter saying you have to keep him. But everything about him reminds her of this thing she's denied. He looks like his father, but he has his mother's eyes, which in this case is her sister's eyes. Mm-hmm. So he reminds her constantly of Lily, who she really doesn't speak to, probably didn't speak to before her death. He's magical, which is something she's always wanted for herself. I guess I didn't quite get until we read it this time that Petunia might be the driving force in the Dursley relationship on the uh, abuse and neglect of Harry. Yeah. And Vernon might just be not a good man. And so he goes along with his wife because husbands generally know to do that on certain (laughs) issues. But... I think that Petunia, more than Vernon, and certainly more than Dudley, who comes around to being a much better man toward mm-hmm. his cousin, Petunia really is the the primary force in the family that creates this circumstance where they're starving Harry, where he's so skinny, none of the clothes in the house fit on him, where he hides, you know, he hides out because he's worried that he'll get caught if he tries to steal food or if his hair grows back and all, you know, all these things that we know happen in the books themselves. It's really sad because you would have hoped that Petunia could have been happy with the life that she had and embraced her, her nephew and she can't because of all of the reasons he reminds her of what she never got to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I also found there's, if you think about it, which there is a parallel between the Dursleys and the Malfoys. And I feel like that was maybe drawn the first chapter. You're like, oh, Malfoy is, you know, Dudley. But you kind of forget about it later. And they really are the muggle version of the Malfoys. They're very proud to be normal. They don't want to be anything but normal. Mm -hmm. They're pretty horrible people. And all they care about is their little family. Mm -hmm. That does not include Harry. And they discriminate those that they discriminate against those that aren't like them too. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's good. I've actually never drawn that analogy before. Hmm. I've never thought of it that way, but you're, to me, it makes perfect sense as you say it. Anything else? There were a couple things that I think it's crossing chapters. Okay. I can't remember where they're talking about where the Horcruxes are located. And there's some great foreshadowing because yeah. it's something like they mentioned Albania, where there was one in Albania. They mention um, Hogwarts, where there was one at Hogwarts, even though nobody believed Harry. And then they mentioned Gringotts yep. as these regal, magical buildings. And there was one in Gringotts. And it's like, not even not even foreshadowing, just mentions of the <laughs> kinds of places that Voldemort would have wanted to store a Horcrux. And it turns out that's exactly where he did. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of foreshadowing. And I feel like that's going to be happening a lot. Like there's been so much, and sometimes I don't even write it down. I'm like, oh, yeah, that happened. And I need to remember to do that because, <laughs> you know, we maybe we, it is something that's cool that kind of, you know, we don't notice. Yeah, we, we we're picking up on different things. You often pick up on some of the bigger themes and connections. And I get the little details that are sprinkled in there, which hopefully yeah. makes it more interesting for yeah. everyone listening. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, so I had a hard time um, when they got to the scene where they are listening to the characters outside the tent on the riverbank. Okay. I could not remember who Dirk was. I had to look him up. Because yeah, who is he? <laughs> he's just not a major enough character. He's he's just a character who gets mentioned earlier for forging his family tree mm-hmm. by like coming up with a fake family tree to try and pass the Muggleborn Registration Commission mm-hmm. and gets arrested and is being sent to Azkaban and that's how he escapes. But I did a little bit of research on him actually. Love that. And he's got an interesting backstory in the wiki that I had never would have never even thought about. In particular, he was the head of the Goblin Liaison Office and he speaks gobbledygook, which it doesn't seem, I mean, we know that from the actual, like this section, because he can kind of understand what the goblins are saying. And that's why he teams up with the goblins is he can speak a common language with them. But it's interesting that they bring out this kind of like, this sort of random character that's good 
gets pulled into the story here to provide some additional context and make sense of having these goblins with these wizards. Um, yeah, I just, I had to look him up and I was like, who is that? I cannot remember who that is. <laughs> yeah, I kept reading his name and I didn't even include him in my synopsis because I couldn't remember his name. And I was like, eh, I don't feel like he's important. I just won't, <laughs> I just won't add him. Yeah, yeah. He's not really important in any other way than just helping this scene move forward. But Obviously, this scene is important for providing a lot of information to the audience, mm -hmm. and it is what is the catalyst for the conversation that Harry and Hermione have that makes yep. Ron so angry. And then we get our first, um, one of our first appearance of Phineas Nigellus yeah. coming out yes. in the portrait. I thought he was used a lot more often, but this is such a short period of time that they're living in the tent that I, for some reason, was thinking he was out and they were having conversations with him a lot more than they actually are. There's this conversation, then Ron leaves, and then they bring him out in the evenings just to have someone else in the tent with them. Right. And that's really it. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. And I also, I kind of was picturing like a little like five by eight. I forget, like it was this huge, because, you know, it's a bag, you don't think about it. It was this huge, heavy frame mm -hmm. they're like pulling out of there. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, right. Yeah, that magical it's bag is pretty small. Pretty impressive. <laughs> oh, I like how very quickly there's a plug put into a potential plot hole when Phineas Nigelis explains why Dumbledore can't come from his own portrait through the portrait mm -hmm. to talk to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a really nice solution to anyone's questions about, you know, we'll just go get Dumbledore and have him come tell us all we need to know. Well, he can't yeah. do that. Okay, got it. All right. Well, I forgot what I was going to say, but I was going to bring something interesting up. And I almost wonder if it was a kind of a like dropping a hint or giving a foreshadowing. It was one of the hateful things that Ron said, but it was comparing another time comparing Harry to Voldemort, where Harry says, yeah, he's trying to convince them that Hogwarts would be a place that Voldemort would leave a Horcrux. And he said, yeah, his school. It's his first real home. It's the place that meant he was special. It meant everything to him. And even after he left, this is you know who we're talking about, right? Not you. And I was like, oh, for one, mean. <laughs> but also I'm like, okay, you're really like showing us that they're they're very, very similar. Mm-hmm which we've talked about in the past episodes. We have, yeah, because they are, aside from being genetically related very distantly through the Peveril brothers, which we've, yeah. you and I discussed extensively this week in between <laughs> episodes, um, they are very similar in their upbringings, both being orphans mm -hmm. and finding their first homes. And it's like Ron forgets. I mean, it's another example, I would say, of the different kind of classes that these three characters come from. Mm -hmm. We talked about it last episode with Ron being a pureblood and being able to go back to Hogwarts and that not being an option for Hermione or for Harry for obvious reasons. And then here it's like, you know, we have parents and the, the different parent situations. And Harry's like, well, I, I don't have parents. Mm, I know. Because they're dead, not because they don't care about me. And it's like all these times that, that Ron sort of reveals that he, though they're very good friends, that he doesn't see him as he really is and mm. all that he's gone through to become this wizard. Like they probably don't talk about it. I and mean, we've talked a lot about how characters don't talk, people don't talk about these kinds of traumatic things in their past. So it's not a surprise that these characters don't, but Ron just doesn't maybe doesn't know or can't understand exactly why Harry is the way he is and why Hogwarts is so important to him and why then it would make sense that it would be important to Voldemort too. Yeah, you know, that is so interesting that Ron, you know, I think Ron probably, you're right, he doesn't see him. That was a good, a good point because he sees the boy who lived, even though he happens to be his best friend and he gets to be his best friend and he understands he's not like everyone says he is, but he still sees him as something, someone who everyone is excited about that Dumbledore talks to that gets to go on all these things and he thinks has the secret knowledge instead of seeing the trauma that he went through. And I imagine, I feel like that's probably purposeful on Harry's part though, because all he ever wants to do is be normal. Mm -hmm. And all he wants to do is kind of hide in the background. And so of course you're not going to talk about that because for one, you're a kid and that's embarrassing and 
you don't want to, you know, but you want to feel normal. So even with your best friend, you just don't really talk about it. Yeah. And Ron doesn't get it until he finally has his own not as cool as it sounds experience when he destroys the Horcrux. And he says, wow, that was not as cool as it sounds when we tell people. And Harry's like, I've been saying that for years. Like (laughs) that's the moment where finally Ron, I think, is realizing that Harry isn't some, he, he is special, but he isn't some special wizard with all these powers and secret abilities and whatever. He's a normal guy, a normal kid, just like Ron, who's just trying to figure it out. And so they can kind of meet each other at a better level where they can work together. Mm-hmm. And then Ron can be the leader and it doesn't threaten anyone. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Harry's like, fine, lead. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. The one other thing that I had in this chapter was I was doing some research on Ron Weasley today and I learned that a J.K. Rowling said that she thought that Ron was a kid who would swear a lot, but she didn't want to write it that way. Yeah. So she thought in, you know, just his his nature, he would he would use swear words. So often she uses like wizarding expressions like Merlin's pants or something like that. Or she'll she'll like she would veil it. So she would say something like Ron said something under his breath that made Hermione say, I should tell your mother or something like that. But in this chapter, they get as close as possible to swearing without swearing when Ron says, we're about as near as getting rid of it as we are finding the rest of this horcruxes nowhere effing near in other words which is like as close to swearing and it's like yep ron swears i i agree with that assessment oh i love that that makes me like ron a little more (laughs) yeah if it weren't a kid's book there would be a lot more swearing that's what this means nice okay yeah that's a good i like that good find little trivia for you (laughs) all right do you have anything else in this chapter nope okay so let's turn back to chapter 14 hey so let's make the galleons to keep the show going have you heard of the osseo box The Osseo Box is the magical world's only vegan and cruelty-free indie subscription box, and it's perfect if you still need a little more magic in your life after listening to this week's episode of The Glittering Bell Jar. Each monthly box is a theme from the wizarding world. Past boxes include Big Witch Energy, House Pride, and Magical Books. You can also buy past boxes and themed character boxes. You know which one we want, hashtag Neville Fan Club. Visit our sister site at followthebutterflies.com slash Osseobox to sign up today and you'll receive 20% off your box or subscription. That's followthebutterflies.com slash Osseobox to sign up for the Osseobox. Thanks for supporting our show. Now let's get back to the Wizarding World. The Thief. The big three wake up on the ground of a forest. Ron has been splinched when Hermione apparated them from Grimmauld Place after being followed. With their home no longer a secret, they are now on the run and begin their camping journey. During this time, Harry has a vision and sees that Voldemort is torturing Gretovich. I know I butchered that. The retired wand maker asking for an unknown item. Voldemort enters his mind and sees a vision of a young blonde boy on a windowsill stealing this item. He then kills Gregorovich and is assumedly on his way to find the thief. All right, how do I say it? Gregorovich. <laughs> I knew you were just making faces. I was like, all right, let's <laughs> All the letters are right there. It's Luckily, it's not a French word. You get to say the letters exactly as they are. Okay. Yeah, Gregorovich. Uh, that one I think I got way back in go- uh, yeah, Goblet of Fire because that's the wand maker that made Victor Crumb's wand. Yeah. That's your trivia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the final sentence of this chapter is... With Grigorovich dead, it was the merry-faced thief who was in danger now, and it was on him that Harry's thoughts dwells as Ron's snores began to rumble from the lower bunk and as he himself drifted slowly into sleep once more. Hmm. Okay. So we don't know we don't know if you're reading forwards who the thief is. We know because we're reading backwards that this is Grindelwald. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was trying to figure out where does Harry recognize him from? I don't know. I was hoping you would know. <laughs> The great mystery of reading the book backwards is that sometimes, like with Dirk Cresswell, I literally can't remember something. And so I am thinking, I'm thinking, oh, I know where it is. I've got it. I got it. Okay. It's in Umbridge's office at the Ministry of Magic 
Umbridge has a copy of The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore. And Harry must pick up and thumb through the book or something. That's my hypothesis, my strong guess. We'll double check it because I think we're going to be in the ministry next episode. And hopefully I'm right about that. But I believe that's where he sees it. So he sees it very briefly. Mm. But it's enough that when he goes into Voldemort's mind, he can remember that he's seen this face before. Okay. And by the way, mm. I love this description of occlumency. Oh, yeah. Where the pupils dilate and get bigger. And that's how Voldemort enters someone's mind. And if you are watching on YouTube, you saw me just do a whole bunch of hand motions. But basically, I was motioning going into someone's eye, which I think is a very cool visual way to describe what it must be like and how weird it must be for Snape to teach occlumency to Harry because of Lily's eyes. Oh, yeah. Actually, do you have that marked? Because I don't know that I super paid attention to that description. I would like to hear it. Okay. Yeah, that description, I bet the audience would too. Yeah, uh, giving going back a couple pages. The hanging man's pupils were wide, dilated with fear, and they seemed to swell bigger and bigger until the blackness swallowed Harry whole. Ooh. So it's literally like the, the pupil yeah. just opens up and like, kind of like the pensive almost, yes. like you dive into it. The same kind of description, which I just thought was a really cool visual description, but also very interesting to think about the application of that magic in mm. other parts of the story. Yeah, that had to have been hard for Snape. Wow. Okay, where should we start with this chapter? Uh, something I just thought was funny was the locket. It's as big as a chicken's egg. I didn't realize it was so big. That's big, you know? That's, that's a big, so yeah, mm-hmm. that's a big locket. <laughs> that's a weird egg. I don't know. <laughs> it is a big locket. That's a weird thing to be wearing when you're Slytherin, but okay. <laughs> Maybe back then, a thousand years ago, wizards wore large ornamental style jewelry. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. I did not catch that. I, I definitely think of it the way, the, the relative size that it is in the movies, which is more like half a chicken egg, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, that's chicken egg is big. Yeah. Um, let's see, I'm just looking around in my notes. One of the other things that jumped out at me that I think we can probably dive into here is the Fidelius charm. Okay. Because there is a mention of, well, going back to your synopsis, because they drag Yaxley with them to Grimald Place, they reveal Mm. the secret to him. And so they believe that Grimald Place is compromised and they can't go back. And so as you did, I did some more research on the Fidelius charm. I highly recommend Googling it because in the Google image results, there's a really cool picture that explains how when the secret keeper is, they call them the primary keeper, when the primary keeper is alive versus dead. So basically, if the primary keeper is the only person who can voluntarily tell anyone the secret, Mm -hmm. and if they don't tell anyone and they die, the secret dies with them, no one will ever know. But if they have told someone and then they die, everyone they've told becomes a secret keeper as well. Mm -hmm. So basically, if you die after having a Fidelius charm and you told people, you should assume that that secret is not going to be safe, which they do because they assume Snape knows, because Snape knows the secret because he's come to the order, the headquarters of the order at Grimmauld Place. Mm -hmm. That's why they protect Grimmauld Place against Snape because anybody now, anyone that's been told can now tell someone. So like, let's say Mad-Eye, Mad-Eye knew, but Mad-Eye dies and he didn't tell anyone. So it ends there with him, but the change just gets wider and wider. So basically this spell gets diluted very quickly if you tell people. Yeah. Which means that if some, if the original keeper, if the original secret keeper dies, you should restart the spell. <laughs> you should change and restart it because that's the best way to protect yourself. But I just found it very interesting to de- to dive in. So right off the bat at the top of the Harry Potter wiki was the quote that I was looking for last week when we were talking about it. 
As long as the secret keeper refused to speak, you know who could search the village where Lily and James were staying for years and never find them, not even if he had his nose pressed against their sitting room window. Mm -hmm. That was the quote I was looking for last week. It is from Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban Mm -hmm. uh, when all the teachers are in the pub. And that explains why Voldemort could see them suddenly. He could have gone to Godric's Hollow. In fact, he probably did because probably people knew where the Potters lived, but he could not find them Mm -hmm. until the secret was revealed. Anyway, I got really, I got really into this yeah no I love that I I'm super interested in it as well obviously like I was doing research on it last week and um yeah there's just some magic that it's it's interesting something that popped up for me because I'm really struggling with Ron right now and I don't want to you know this my goal is to like Ron by the maybe even into the season you know I don't I don't dislike I don't hate him I just kind of gets on my nerves so (laughs) I was (laughs) I was trying to understand his role because once he comes back, we do see that he does, he is a part of the machine and it just, the machine just does not work without him. Right. And you made a good point by saying he's the leader. So that does help me a little bit, but I also was trying to understand like what else he did. And there's of course his comedic role, which we've talked about before. So he is a little bit of light. He's also, you have Hermione, which is very, very smart. And she knows way more about the wizarding world than Ron. But then you have Ron who grew up. All he's ever known is the wizarding world world. So he has this knowledge that even just small things that Hermione may not pick up on or, you know what I mean? A a knowledge or old tales because she didn't know about, you know, the beetle and the bard, things like that, that he would know about. And then of course you have Harry. Another thing is Hermione was kind of tough on Harry. These past two chapters, she's kind of like, Harry, like you're fine. She, oh, it was right. Whenever Harry was, he ends up passing out and he sees the vision of Voldemort. And she's like, she got onto him. And she's like, what are you doing? You should have let us know. I thought you need to use your occlumency. Like, it's so easy. Like, oh, you're not, you're not doing it correctly. And then Harry goes back into the tent and Ron's like, hey, 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 like, what, what did you see? He's like whispering it. So Ron is almost more like the brother. He's like a little more, he's always been the person for the most part that has trusted and believed in Harry. Except for he had like what one moment where he got mad at him for like a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. But other than that, he's always been his confidant, his brother. And Hermione, although she is like a sister, she's also like an older sister, like a, you should be doing it this way, almost like a mother or a teacher. So that made me feel like a little bit better. I think Hermione too is very, very afraid of that connection between Harry and Voldemort. Mm. I think in the same way Dumbledore fears that connection, Mm -hmm. she fears it. And it may be she understands more of the magic in that if Harry can see into Voldemort, Voldemort can see into Harry. And that's a huge threat to them, Mm -hmm. to all three of them, not just her own self-preservation, but these two people that she loves. And so I think she's just afraid of it. I mean, I think she's afraid of it the entire time. So whenever it happens in the series, she's like, you need to close your mind. You have to stop this. Mm-hmm. Even later in this book, when they need to look into Voldemort's mind to understand what he's doing, it's not Hermione who's like, you should open up your mind and see. It's Ron who says, look, go look inside of him and tell us where he is so that we can know what Voldemort is doing and prepare ourselves. So I think that's part of it. I will say for the record that Hermione is older mm-hmm. than both of these mm-hmm. men by... She's older than Ron by about six months, and she's older than Harry by 10 months. So she is a little bit of an older sister. True. Which is funny because Emma Watson was, in fact, way younger. The youngest. Yeah, yeah. the youngest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I kept marking it, and I can't figure out what I want to say, but this whole thing about them figuring out that the name's taboo, that you can't say Voldemort, mm-hmm. that, that Ron also has this good instinct from yes. being in the magical world, like you were just saying, that you should not be saying this name. And he doesn't know why. He doesn't explain it. But it's... 
it's right, mm-hmm. it's accurate, and it saves them for a long time because even when Ron leaves and he's not there reminding them not to say it, they stop saying it. Mm-hmm. And that's what keeps them safe that whole two months, three months, six, yeah, two months or so where Ron is gone. Yep. Uh, I might be making up that two months. I don't mm-hmm. know where that came from, but... <laughs> But Ron is right that they shouldn't be saying the name. And in both of these chapters, I kept marking how he's like, stop saying the name, stop saying it. And they do switch finally to saying you know who, yep. just like they would do when they were back in school. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that as well. And I was like, wow, good job, Ron. Like he knew and he saved their freaking tail. Mm-hmm. He just instinctively knew that, you know, after growing up in the magical world where you don't say the name, maybe we shouldn't say the name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another funny thing that happened was whenever Harry could not procure a Patronus because of the the Horcrux, it's a good thing because they would have noticed his Patronus, right? So um, I was like, well, that that was good. You couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the solution there was. Like, you're not going to go cast a Patronus to go to the grocery store. Like, that <laughs> is going to be so obvious. Even if the Muggles don't see it, the de- the Dementors are going to see it and they're going to respond. Yeah. So one other thing that jumped out at me in this chapter was that there's further proof that you don't have to kill to take the Elder mm-hmm. Wand when Grindelwald breaks into Grigorovich's workshop and takes the wand and escapes without killing Grigorovich, obviously. And Voldemort sees all this and still doesn't understand, now that he has two data points, that you don't have to kill Snape to, to make the wand loyal to you. In fact, the wand is not loyal to you, and killing Snape will have no impact on that either way. The wand is just not loyal to you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. maybe he thought that the wand wasn't really loyal to them or something. I don't know. I think he was just, I think it's that that classic hubris of power that he couldn't imagine that any magic, I mean, and Dumbledore says this, he can't yeah. imagine the magics that he doesn't understand. So he doesn't even try and learn them. And he just dismisses them outright. And that's his vulnerability is that he doesn't acknowledge magic is greater than him. And he is a part of it. And he instead thinks he is the master of the magic and ignores anything that doesn't fit that narrative for him, for himself as a villain. Dang, I like, that was, good that was a quote <laughs> do you think Voldemort thought he was a villain that's actually an interesting question mm. oh man that is a rabbit hole uh <laughs> like do villains think they're villains no generally I think generally no right like Thanos right like he thought he was saving the earth I think he thinks he's a good guy because think about it he says like oh um Voldemort has mercy you know what I mean I'm not without mercy especially you know he likes purebloods I think he thinks that he hates muggles and he thinks that they're keeping them down and they're better and yeah I yeah I'll have to think about it more but I do think you're right I don't think he thinks he's a bad guy he thinks he's designing a better world Mm -hmm. and just like in some ways just like Grindelwald and Dumbledore as young men yep so in that in that way like it's hard you can have a little bit more empathy even though the means are not the right way to achieve the outcome they're desiring right that they are doing what they think is the best thing to do right just kind of an interesting perspective the difference is Voldemort or Dumbledore did not want to harm the muggles where Voldemort just wants yes. to kill him off he doesn't care yeah, yeah. they would or enslave them right he, yeah they would have enslaved for sure yeah yeah <laughs> So I found, I went and I did a little digging on, so something I noticed, Gregorovich, the wand maker, I, I feel like I often got, I didn't really understand the difference between him and Ollivander. And so I just did a little digging. There honestly wasn't a ton to be found, but he was another wand maker and Victor Crumb actually pra- praised him. He supposedly got the last wand that Gre- Gregorovich ever made before he retired. Mm-hmm. And his whole thing was the Elder Wand. He procured the Elder Wand somehow. We do not know um, what means. Hmm. At least they couldn't. I didn't see anything online. There was literally nothing. We don't really know his past. We just know he had it. And he tried to replicate the Elder Wand hmm. and get powers from it. Mm-hmm. So that's what he was doing with it in his workshop. Yep. He was just trying to basically replicate it. 
figure out how he could make wands like that. And to make him more popular, he spread his own rumor about having the Elder Wand. So people would be like, oh, he's definitely better than Ollivander. He know he has the Elder Wand. He's studying it to make other wands mm. more powerful. Mm-hmm. And which actually ended up being the reason that he lost the Elder Wand because mm-hmm. people started finding out about it. He was lucky he didn't die. Every time. Every time. That's how it goes. <laughs> if you start bragging yeah. about the Elder Wand, that is what happens. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know. I just found that interesting. I didn't find much on him, but... Did it explain at all what the cores of the wands that he made were made of? Because I remember that Crumb's core of his wand was different than what Ollivander used. Um, I wonder if it was Hawthorne? Because I, I, I wrote down a quote. It's Hawthorne makes a strange contradictory wand as full of paradoxes as the tree that gave it birth, whose leaves and blossoms heal, and yet whose cut branches smell of death. Mm-hmm. I'm looking it up in the book. Um, Let's see. Victor Crumb's wand. Hornbeam and Dragonheart string. So he also has Dragonheart string. I was I was getting confused because actually the difference that I was thinking of is, one, the Elder Wand has the core of Thestral hair, and then Fleur's wand has a he- the hair from Avila. So they do, that's where I was thinking, is they do use other cores, and some wand makers use other cores. So the question is, if Ollivander nor... Grigorovich made Fleur's wand. Who made her wand? Because they used a different core material than anyone else had. I do not know. I don't either. I will bring it up when we get to that part of the book in a few seasons. <laughs> okay, any last notes on this this chapter, this section? Uh, you know, just one. I don't know why she brought it up, and I find it interesting that in the scene where you see Grindelwald jumping out of the window... It says Fred and George's triumphant trickery on his face. And I'm like, like, it's just interesting she brought that up. Hmm. I wonder if it's because it's Voldemort seeing, like, it's Grigorovich seeing, being seen by Voldemort, being seen by Harry. And that's who Harry would recognize in that sort of trickery and expression. Yeah, no, for sure. But like, it just is weird that she, Rowling would compare the two. Like, what is she trying to do? Mm-hmm. Like, why is she bringing that up? I feel like there's always a reason whenever she brings up or compares characters. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I don't know why. Maybe just giving um, some more character to Grindelwald. And at this point, we don't know that he's a bad guy. We don't even know who he is. So, true. you know, what happens is, if you think about it in the order it happens in the book, is Harry sees this photo, and then he has this vision with Voldemort, and then he gets a copy of The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore, and he's like, oh my gosh, Dumbledore was friends with this guy. And then he's like, wait, that guy's Grindelwald? Mm. I've been totally wrong about this. I didn't know who this guy was, but I didn't think it was, you know, it's kind of like a little uh, diversion to not really reveal that mm. the character is potentially evil. Oh. Because, mm-hmm. you know... Mm-hmm. We don't know who he is, so you want to have him be sort of neutral or interesting until we re- that information is revealed to the reader and to Harry. And so having him be a trickster mm-hmm. is definitely intriguing. We pay a lot more attention to him. We want to solve that mystery. Yep. I like that answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was your, that's the last thing you had from this one. That was a good one. I didn't catch that. Oh, thanks. What about you? Anything? No, I'm done. I got through everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, we made it through an episode recorded in the evening. Actually, I, I think it went really pretty well. I hope everyone else did. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's wrap it up. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thanks for sticking it out. As a friendly reminder, we live and die on those reviews, those five-star reviews and ratings and all that in Apple Podcasts. And we haven't had any in a while. So if you are listening and you are enjoying this, please go give us a five-star review, rating, whatever, both, please. And uh, if you want to give us some feedback, we'd love to have that. You can do that on social media, which Bree is going to tell you about. Yes, uh, please reach out. We are on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all the things. It's Bell Jar Pod. I love to hear from you. Share to your stories. I will reshare your stuff. Please reach out. 
DM us, um, and you can also email. So if you have any thoughts, anything you didn't like that we said, anything you want to add on to, any corrections, I honestly love the feedback because it gives us something else to talk about. Like we're not perfect. We make mistakes and we're only two people. There's other people who have different ideas and I love to hear about it. So you can email us at podcast at followthebutterflies.com. Followthebutterflies.com is Valerie's incredible Harry Potter site. You should go check it out. There's gift ideas and there are drink ideas. So speaking of drink ideas. <laughs> well done. I thought of that earlier when we were Thank thinking you. about not having food and drink in the tent and I forgot to bring it up. But yes, <laughs> let's let's do this before we wrap up. It is time to do our Gilderoy Lockhart style quiz question of the week. As a friendly reminder, you should collect these answers. They are questions about Brie and I and whoever gets the most right answers and aka knows the most about us and our love of Harry Potter will win a Harry Potter prize pack. And uh, let's yeah. see. So the question of the week is, what is your favorite drink from the magical world? I'll keep it. I'm keeping it easy. I will say, so I have on my blog, I have made a lot of these in muggle fashion. And I was shockingly delighted by pumpkin juice. It's really good. But I'm going to go with butterbeer because butterbeer is super easy to make at home. It's just as delicious as it is when you go to somewhere like the Wizarding World or the Harry Potter Studio Tour. I can't imagine how good it is in the, in the actual Wizarding World. But for now, the Muggle version has to do and it is definitely my favorite. What about you? You know, I think I'm going to go with fire whiskey. Oh, good Especially one. Especially if I was in the Wizarding World. Yeah, you know, you life is rough. You just got to throw back some fire whiskey, let it burn a little. I am here for it. I'm hoping it's a little more like whiskey and a little less like fireball, but you know, either way, I'll take it. <laughs> so we made that too uh, last year oh, during okay. the winter. What we did, if you're curious at home and you are of uh, age to consume, are you are you illegally a witch and wizard of age, is you just take whatever whiskey you like and you throw in some cinnamon sticks and some um, really good quality cherries, Lux Luxardo cherries or something that's really good for mm. cocktail making. And uh, you just let it sit for like a week or two and it's going to pick up all those flavors of the cinnamon, but it's also going to get nice and sweet and rich from the cherries. And then you're going to have this really nice, very drinkable fire whiskey. Muggle way. Love that. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so that, those were your answers. For me, Valerie, it was butterbeer. Yep. For Brie, it was fire whiskey. And with that, we will wrap everything up and we look forward to seeing you all next week. Yep. See you next time. Glittering Bell Jar is a Harry Potter podcast produced by the Calibro Group in partnership with Wild Goose Creatives. It is an unofficial fan project that is not authorized, approved, licensed, or endorsed by J.K. Rowling, her publishers, or Warner Brothers Entertainment Incorporated. Our theme music is Carnival of the Animals R125, Aquarium by Moments, licensed via Soundstripe. You can discover even more magic on followthebutterflies.com.